Okay, this morning we're going to continue in the development of, of prophecy, but still, as God does that, <clears throat> still, He's going to continue to establish the foundational truth that's in us. And as Mike said, it is finished. And, and what the truth of that statement in John 19.30, it is finished. It's finished for us positionally when we receive Christ as our Savior. The moment we did, it, it, we experienced what was finished in the eternal mind of God. So again, it was finished for us as instantly we were positioned in Christ the moment we received him. But now he has to work it in us. And that's what he's doing. He is working in us everything that he is in his love for us in the way that he positioned us in his son. And so you, we're going to see that prophecy here, everything that was happening on earth apart from Christ would be that that would come against God himself, his son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit who would work in and for those that would be positioned in Christ based upon the glory of Christ, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the, that glory would be the thing that the enemy with prophecy on earth would come against continuously. And that is what still is going on at this present time as prophecy is being worked out. So God is doing something Today And what he's doing on earth right now is based upon the dispensation of grace. It is the church age. That's exactly what it is. It doesn't have to do with the world system. As a matter of fact, it has nothing to do with the world system. Matter of fact, prophecy that's being worked out apart from Christ is of the world system. But what he's doing right now, because of John... 1 and verse 11, he came unto his own, the nation of Israel, Christ did, and his own rejected him. Then in verse 12, it says, but as many as would receive him. That's the parenthesis. And so now God is no longer dealing with the earth. Prophecy's working its way out, but he's only doing one thing right now. He's taking individuals out of the world system through receiving Jesus Christ and thus placing him in the son of his love in Colossians 1 and verse 13. That's it. He's not making the world a better place. Not at all. That world system that cast him out. We see that again at prophecy. When did it begin? Begin. It began right with the fall of Adam. In Genesis 3, 1 to 6. But even there, based upon Genesis chapter 3 and verses 15 to 21, foundational truth is being established. Why? Because before there was an earth, ever, before there was an angel, a host of angels created, fallen or unfallen, before there was a race of human beings, the Lamb in Revelations 
13 and verse 8, was slain from the foundation of the earth. Now, as he would lead a people out, and he chose Abraham to do that, you see that in Genesis, the 11th chapter. That's unfortunate, but he couldn't go forward. Abraham wouldn't even go forward until his own natural father died. In other words, natural relationships had to end for him to go forward. Boy, I wish we could understand this one, all of us. Oh, boy. Would save us a lot of struggle and a lot of that that would dim the glory of, of Christ in us. But from that point forward, finally, in Genesis, the 12th chapter, he calls one man to call a whole people. You see Genesis chapter 12, and again, being worked out by the time you get to the end of Genesis, the 16th chapter, where there were 13 silent years with Abraham, because at that particular time, we know how he was, he was 86 years old, and there was 13 silent years between chapter 16 to the end, to Genesis the 17th chapter in verse 1. And it says, and when Abraham was 99 years old. So there's 13 silent years where God was working out in, in Abraham what needed to be worked out, like he's doing with us. And he was working in the promise, the foundational truth, not only about him as an individual receiving Christ, but as, a, as, a, as dealing with prophecy, you will see that in the 17th chapter. In, in Genesis, the 12th chapter, in Genesis, the 17th chapter, is based upon what is known as the unconditional promises of God. All those promises that in 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20 are yes and amen. Yes, settled, and I agree, in Christ. From that time, when the Jews finally rejected him, they, they stoned and killed the prophets, all of them. You can see it in all the Old co Covenants. You see them in all the Old Testament prophets. They would stone the prophets. They, wouldn't, they didn't want anything to do with God in their religious flesh. Notice that? The religious flesh. They, wouldn't do it. they, they didn't want God in their religious flesh. Why? Because they were of their father, the devil, in John 8, verse 44, just like Cain in Genesis, the fourth chapter. It was the enemy, Satan, who actuated in him murder. Murder. That's why in Exodus 20, verses 12 and 13, 13 you shall not murder. That's what it says. Killing is necessary, not murder. Killing has to do with God and his government. Murder has to do with man and his hatred toward God, killing man who was made in his image in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, and Genesis chapter 5 and verse 2. From that point on, they would kill the prophets, constantly stoning them. Look what they did with Jeremiah. Look what they did with Isaiah. Isaiah preached till no one was left. You know what they did with Isaiah by the end of his life? They hollowed out a tree and they put him in it. And when it says they sawed him in half, it wasn't, it wasn't this way, it was vertically. They sawed him in half. <laughs> Boy. And Jeremiah, they, they throw him in a, in, a, in a dungeon, wanted to get rid of him. And then Christ came. 
And look what they did. They said in John 18, 40, not this man. This all has to do with prophecy and foundational truth, by the way. In John 18, verse 40, they said the religious crowd in their fleshly religion that hates God, religion, by the way, is that that is actuated by Satan, who, and it is a form of hating God. That's all religion is. That's what it is. Because it's outside of Christ, God's only way. The Lamb, we said in, in Revelations 13, verse 8, he who finished the work from the foundation of the earth, the world, in Hebrews 4, and verse 3, the works were finished. The works, Mike said, we thank God that the works are finished. Yes, we do. Now, <laughs> what's been finished in our position for us has to be worked in us. And this can only be accomplished with the preciseness and continuation of proper teaching and preaching from Jesus Christ himself through a vessel that is empty. And an empty vessel and a broken vessel is what God will use to impart the life that's the believers that has been imputed to them in their position. Now, so they hated him, and they said in Christ, the Son, and so in John 19 and verse 15, they cried out, crucify him. What were they saying? Murder him. Murder him. We have hatred. Remember, if you, if you think in your heart, God, much less believers think in this way about each other. God, God forbid. Because if you even call someone a fool based upon your own understanding in Proverbs 18, 1 and 2, and a fool, if you even say someone a fool, it's murder in your heart before God, before Jesus Christ. He said it in Matthew 5, 27 and 28. That's why, and men have tremendous problems with this, that if you even look upon a woman lusting in your heart, you've already committed adultery. In Matthew 5, and verse 22 and 23. See how precise? To those that think they can keep Ten Commandments on their own, established with 613 statutes and ordinances, and this is brought out in Revelation in, in, uh, in Exodus 20, verses 3 to 17. No man can keep the law. So they crucified Christ. And then the Holy Spirit, through his people, taking the things of Christ through vessels, showing that unto them, Stephen, the first Christian church martyr, they killed him in, in, in Acts 7, verse 51, because he said, you always do resist the Holy Spirit, just like all your forefathers from way back. Way back. That's why all children are not the children of God. Galatians 3 and verse 26, we are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, because there are multitudes in, Matthew, in, in, in John 8 and verse 44 that are of their father, the devil. And God forbid that he should ever father us in a lie or in some kind of irritation or suspicion, especially with believers towards one another. God forbid that, and he does. He does forbid that. What makes us think we are better than anybody else? And again, in Christ, we're not better than anyone, but we are better off. Not better, 
but better off. And boy, are we better off when we don't function in the flesh. We're going to see that. The flesh, and this is again, we've made said this for, for quite a while, quite a while, those words in and of, quite a while. The flesh is in us as believers in Romans 8, 9, but we're not of it. Okay? Because the flesh was of Satan and is of Satan. That we are no longer of because we are of Christ. But we can function in, in the heartbeat, can't we? And that's where we begin in our thinking to bite and devour one another. In Galatians 5 and verse 15, because we fell from the experience in Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1, we left that freedom that we have in Christ based upon that love, that first love in Revelations 2 and verse 4. We left it and then we fall not from our position in Galatians chapter 5 and verses 1 through 4, not from our position, but from a proper experience. And then we begin when, when that happens is to bite and devour one another with thoughts that come from who? Well, do you remember in 1 Peter 5, 7, where it says, cast all your anxiety, that thing that's causing you to be anxious or irritated or suspicious? Cast all of that on Christ, because he cares for you. He will give you right thinking, no matter what it is and no matter who it involves. Why? Because you have an adversary, the devil, walking about seeking whom he may devour. See how that works in 1 Peter 5, 8? These devouring thoughts that believers take hold of through the will being submitted to them, and then they begin to divide and, and bite and devour, in Galatians 5, verse 15, in their thinking. Wouldn't dare confess it outwardly, at least not yet. God forbid, and he does. In Galatians 6 and verse 14, he's given us the finished work of the cross that is crucified the world from me and me from the world, from that functioning. So from that, then they said, Stephen said, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you always do resist the Holy Spirit, just like your forefathers did. You always do. And then they stoned him. <laughs> and we're going to see this in the people groups. Let's get to the people groups now. People groups, and, and we're going to miss a lot in Genesis, the ninth chapter, but in coming days, I don't believe that, that God would have us to miss it. But here we are, finally, with the three sons, right? The three sons of who? Noah, Ham, Sham, and Japheth. The three sons. And we're going to see the descendants. That, remember, all the other people groups... Okay, we're done away with in the flesh, except the eight that went into the ark, the type of Christ. Every, every, other, every other one was wiped out. Why? Because God's will was, was against them? No, their will was against God and it would never have changed. <laughs> God, if he could say, is he willing that any should perish in 2 Peter 3, 9 and in, in Ezekiel 18, verse 33? Of course not. They, they would have only wanted to get in the ark to continue their own will. Just like others. Why are, why are others in heaven and, and, and some in hell? Well, because it's their choice. And then living in their will unsubmitted, they would never be fit for heaven. They wouldn't, there'd be nothing about it that would fit where they are. He's not willing that any should perish. Let's, we need to get that one straight, don't we? 
So we have these three sons. And then he began through those sons with uh, Noah's other women. They began to repopulate the earth. Notice it was the earth. Okay, now, why? Because God had left dealing, and you'll see this in Genesis the 8th and ninth chapters, he left the earth because man on earth, apart from him, he was only, his only thought, his whole life, purpose, design, plans were only evil that would never change based upon Genesis 6 verse 5 and Genesis 8 and verse 21. They would never change. They never would. So now he repopulates, he re, he's repopulating the earth. And this is where we begin to see prophecy and where it started and where it is even to today. So you have, and we're just going to touch this briefly before we get into some New Testament scriptures. But here we're going to see the descendants of Ham. The descendants of Ham, it's called Cush. C-U-S-H. And this is the Ethiopians. This is in Africa. Okay? They dwelt, this people, where they began to be repopulated, not only dwelt in Ethiopia, in Africa, but also in Southern Asia. And they settled, a lot of them, in Arabia. Arabia. Notice? There were others that were called Mizraim. M-I-Z-R-A-I-M. Mizraim, and that's a place where? In Egypt. Egypt. Then, and it was referred to here, when we see it in the original Hebrew, there were two Egypts, the upper and lower. So we're seeing that, the two. The upper and lower Egypt. And the old Egyptian name is Kemi, K-E-M-I. Kemi. Okay, and it was these were descended from Ham, and they were those descendants, and they were known as Put, P-U-T. And what this is, it reveals very clearly, is the Libyans on the north coast of Africa, Libya, modern Libya today. And it was known as Old Egypt, Old Egypt. And out of that, there came a river, a, a river. And boy, there's some scriptures I would love to be able to get into at some uh, further time, maybe even as early as tomorrow. But the name of that river was Phut, P-H-U-T, a river. There was a river, and it was flowing out to all these areas. Oh, there's a beautiful river, a river and we'll get into it in, in Psalm 46 in verse 4. There is a fantastic river in Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12. That's a pure river. This river is not pure, but there is a pure river. Do you remember when Jesus was talking to the woman at the well in, in, in John 4 and verse 14, and when he spoke again in 738, when you believe and receive, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. See, this river was polluted. It was polluted. So then we see here, we see in Genesis, the 10th chapter, and now in the 6th verse, we see the descendants of Cush. This is the northern Ethiopians in Africa. They were called the Macrobian, the Macrobian Ethiopians. 
And then there were others in southeastern Arabia. These are all these people groups are being formed. What is known now as the neighborhood, listen, of the Persian Gulf. The Persian Gulf. You know, the best history that we can ever glean, and only history as far as God's concerned, is in this book called the Bible. That's why it's called history. It's his story. No one else's. No one else's. And so we see then, in the Persian group, we see the Sabian and Dedantic Cushites. That's what they're called. And they're the descendants of Jochen and Abraham. That's what they descended out of. Then we get to verses 8 through 12. And boy, we'll stop here a little bit before we get into the New Testament and we can follow it through before we get right back into these people groups. Then we get into verses in Genesis chapter 10 and verses 8 to 12, we get into these tribes. All these tribes are named. They're already named. But then there sprang from Cush this individual. His name was Nimrod. N-I-M-R-O-D. You ever call any someone they did something foolish? You called them a Nimrod, didn't you? Yeah, that guy's a Nimrod. Well, this man's name... He was an individual named Nimrod, and he was the first founder of an imperial kingdom, meaning he wanted to rule and reign over the whole earth, Nimrod. We see that. We can see this again brought out in the genealogical tables, and that's what even makes them important, even as laborious as they may seem to be. <laughs> and there is labor involved to garner this, this understanding. But know that your labor in the, in the Lord in 1 Corinthians 15, 58 is never in vain. But it takes a tremendous amount of labor to be able to have proper skill and preciseness through the scriptures. It takes a lot of labor. Which means it doesn't leave you very much time for anything else in Acts the 6th chapter and the 4th verse. But we we will give ourselves to prayer, dependence, and then proper ministry of the word. Notice how that flows. And so here we see again those, those genealogical tables in First Chronicles chapters 2 and verse 7, 23, chapter 4 and verse 22, 23, and then in those verses in that chapter 4, 39 to 41. So now we see Nimrod. Nimrod, what? He began to be a mighty one in the earth. All powerful. And when we see the Hebrew word there, the Nimrod, and, what, and the description, we see, we see this again in Genesis, the sixth chapter, and in the fourth verse. We see that there were giants in the earth in those days. Men, power, men of power. Men of power before the flood. Men of power. Notice. And also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became, became what? Mighty men. Mighty men which were of old. Men of renown. Boy, they were known. They were known. This is where Nimrod would descend from. And we can see that clearly here. He began to be a mighty one on the earth. And that means this. Watch what it says. He began to denote himself as a man, listen to this, who makes himself 
renowned for bold and daring deeds. Nimrod, listen, Nimrod in his natural function was a mighty man in hunting. He was a hunter. So was Cain, was he not? He was a hunter. And that, listen to this, he was a hunter and in, in his natural fallen state, he was a hunter in opposition to Yahweh, to God. Notice that, to God. And it wasn't before Yahweh in the sense of or according to the purpose and will of Yahweh at all. No, no, not at all, not at all. Because the name, the Hebrew, even for Nimrod, is from the Hebrew, which means this. Literally, we will revolt. <laughs> we will revolt. Where did the first revolt take place? It took place in heaven. In Isaiah 14, 9 to 17. We see it in Ezekiel the 28th chapter and start in verse 15 and go right down to the end. That revolt took place in the heavens before time, in eternity. When Lucifer, when God created Lucifer, God never created evil. He never created Satan, evil, adversary and opponent of God and therefore adversary and opponent of men who were made in the image of God. We will revolt. And what it points to here is to some violent resistance to God. Do you remember what Jesus said in, in Matthew 12 and verse 30? And of course, he had the religious crowd. Listen to this. He had the religious crowd in, my, in mind. Did you know that more wars and every single war started with some kind of religiosity? More people, human beings, are murdered, slaughtered because of the religion of the self-made man who's in always opposition and competition to Christ. Now, that's what makes it so important for us as believers. Now, let's get back to the foundation. In Romans 8 and verse 9, we have the flesh in us that's always in hatred, opposition to God. There's where the biting and devouring comes from. In Galatians 5 and verse 15, that thought life in Psalm 10 and verse 4. God is not in any of their thoughts. In the flesh, he's neither is he in us. But are we of it? No. But can we function in it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. In Psalm 50, verse 21, you thought I was altogether like you. Listen, more and more... Wars are literally come from religious, self-made man. Religion has to do with self in man fulfilling all his lusts apart from God or anybody else. See it crystal clear. We will revolt some violent resistance to God. And Nimrod, Nimrod was a mighty hunter. Notice that? He was a hunter founded upon a powerful kingdom. Is, is God from the fall and beyond even? Has God been ruling on this earth right now? Is there ever a time he was accepted to rule here? 
Except in those that were him, and very few, has that ever happened. No wonder he taught his disciples, his Jewish disciples, looking forward to the millennial reign. Pray, our Father, which art in heaven. Notice he left the earth and he's functioning from heaven. That's where God is functioning right now, from heaven. Unfortunate to some Christians who go, who were taught finished work, go right back into Judaism. Some of them even become rabbis. And of course, you know, I can shake my head, but I can, I can function in the flesh in a millisecond, just like anybody else. So we're not to judge. But God is teaching us precise preciseness this morning. But he founded a powerful kingdom. He's, remember Jesus said that? Remember what he said in Matthew 12, 30? He that is not with me is what? Against me. And he that gathers not scatters abroad. Your thoughts, if they're not with Christ about each other, you will be scattered. You, God, the enemy will use you to scatter, not just yourself in your confusion in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, but will use you to do it to others. There's a man that God put on my heart, and I just honestly, this, this, you know, for a while now, and it's almost in love, I want to say, my God, why do you want to be, and for any of us, this is true for any of us, and starts right here with me, why would you vomit something up and then want to go right back to it again? Like a little dog, a puppy who lives by, who's a dichotomous being, a soul and a body. In Proverbs 26, 11. Versus Proverbs 25 and verse 11. Apples of gold are like, uh, the, the word and that man who functions in Christ is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Redemptive thoughts. Redemptive thoughts. So, that's what he said. And he also said it in Matthew 9, verse 40. He that is with us, he that is not as against us is on our part. So Nimrod was a hunter, and he founded a powerful kingdom. This kingdom, he was founded based upon the consequence or result of his strength in hunting. Listen to this, in hunting. So that hunting, listen, was most intimately connected with the establishment of a kingdom. That kind of look, does that kind of look like anything that's going on right now in two certain countries and otherwise? That sound kind of interesting? Here. He was a mighty hunter. He was a mighty hunter. And what this word means in the figurative sense is, and its significance is this, that he was a hunter of men. He wasn't satisfied. He wanted to be a hunter of men. <laughs> Listen. Listen, unfortunately and truthfully, though, that's the flesh that's in us that we're not of, by the way. Because if I can't control them, you know what I'll do. So do you. If I can't control them, and if I can't kill them, I just, well, I just don't want anything to do with them anymore. Yeah, that's God's thought, right? What did you do? Did you compare yourself with someone else? He was a hunter. And when you study the Hebrew words in here, this is what you're going to find. That he was a hunter of men. He was a trapper of men by stratagem and force. 
under the influence of Satan. Ephesians 6, 11. Eh? What are we fighting? It, it's, it's his wiles, his methodia, his stratagem, his subtle evilness, how he hunts men. Why does he do that? Because the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. Kill is murder in John 10, 10a. But Jesus Christ came that he might have, that we might have, might have life and have it more abundantly. We do have life abundantly, positionally. Do we have it experientially? There's the might. There's the might. Oh, I want all those truths about God. But please don't deal with the subtlety of the flesh that's in us. The flesh that would interpret the love of God and what that love would be. <laughs> Lord, help us. And he will. He'll humble us. He'll humble us. This, of course, this life that he had, which is life, is it life apart from God, apart from Christ, gave, uh, there was a proverb all through the Hebrews, and there was a proverb, and it was like Nimrod, a mighty hunter against the Lord against the Lord, which immortalized not his skill in hunting animals, but the success of his hunting men in the establishment of an imperial kingdom by tyranny and power. Does that sound kind of familiar to where we are today? Does, that, does anything like that sound familiar in the flesh that's in us, but that we're not of? Now we're on foundation. Remember, Tyranny, rule without freedom. Of course, during the latter 50s and 60s, it was, you know, you know, you want freedom without rule, anarchy. <laughs> the whole hippie culture was certain, certain particular words uh, that we use today and don't know their meaning or where they came from and words have meaning came out of that particular anarchy. <laughs> God help us. It's kind of interesting how words change their meaning, don't they? Specific words. And then words that aren't even in the English language came about, and now we refer to each other by that. Like a general mass and a general herd, instead of calling us by our names. Maybe, maybe you would understand that, and maybe we should, by grace, of course, by the pure grace of God, we do. Well, no, by tyranny and the power, and Nimrod did it in the face of God Almighty, right in his face. I don't care. The fool has said in his heart, his mind in Psalm 14, 1 and 53 and verse 1, no, God, no. That's the flesh that's in the Christian, but we're not of in Romans 8 and verse 9. But this is what he did, Nimrod. He did it right in the face of Yahweh and can only mean an absolute hatred and revolt and defiance of Yahweh, God himself. Then he had all these other, all these others followed in Nimrod's footsteps. Daring and rebellious men followed in Nimrod's footsteps. 
Now we have footsteps in their Christ in 1 Peter 2 and verse 21, that path that he lights up and it gets brighter and brighter as we get to face him face to face. We see that in Proverbs 4 and verse 18, then finally face to face in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12. We begin, begin to be face to face. They follow in his footsteps. And you know why? Because it all originated in what they followed with Nimrod was those who saw in such conduct an act of rebellion against the God of salvation. The flesh is against God. The whole world system. And there's no difference between the flesh and the believer than the unsaved. There's no difference. Oh, I don't want to hear about it. Of course you don't. And of course I wouldn't as long as I live in the flesh. I would rather kind of like hang out in the shadows as a Christian. In James 1, 17, every good gift and every perfect gift come down from the Father of lights. All that preaching and teaching and truth and precise detail. And, there's no, and, and every good gift and every perfect gift come down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness. He doesn't change, do we? Do we change our thoughts about each other? And what are they based on? With whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. They set themselves against God, the God of salvation. Him who is the possessor of the divine promises of grace. And this is the beginning of his kingdom, which was called Babel. You can call it Babel if you want. Okay, so I'll call it Babel, which means confusion. That you're going to see that all the way through to 1 Corinthians 14, 33. God's not the author of confusion, but of life and peace to all the saints, those that are sanctified in Christ. Now, remember he wanted to build his kingdom up to her, heaven in Genesis, the 11th chapter. And, and, and of course, the Trinity said, well, we've got to come down. We're going to confound them. We're all going to start because they're all speaking one language. And we're going to confound them. You know, that's such mercy of God, God Almighty. It's, it's, it's love mingled with wrath. Again, pointing to the flood. The well-known city of Babylon on the Euphrates, which was a river. Remember, we, we said there is a beautiful river. The streams thereof that make glad the city of God, Jerusalem. At some point that will happen. Psalm 46 and verse 4. And in the types that it will bring out in the future, in Ezekiel, the 47th chapter, in those first 12 verses, they're so beautiful in, in the way that they are. And so, from the time of Nimrod downwards has been the symbol of power of the world and its hostility to God. <laughs> wow. Even this, the, the, uh, the Kuthians or Samaritans, and you can see that, in Ezra, the fourth chapter, and the ninth verse. Babel. Babel. We're going to see Babel. Babel, that great city. There were four other cities that were the northeast of Babel and the land of Shinar, the province of Babylon on the lower Euphrates and Tigris or Tigris River. And from Shinar, Nimrod went to Assyria. Check out Assyria all through the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. Assyria, the country on the east of the Tigris. 
and there built four cities, a large imperial city composed of the four cities named. Four cities, four. The earth's number. Man, sixth number, created on the sixth day. In Genesis 2 and verses 6 and 7, man was created on the sixth day. Here we have man on earth apart from God in total revolt and rebellion, building a kingdom where he is not invited. That's the whole world system in Genesis chapter 4 and verses 16 right to the end. That's the whole world system. Cain went out from the presence of God, 17th verse, and he built a city. This is where Nimrod came from without. Those sons, because they still had the flesh in them. They were born, they were kept from judgment in the ark, but they still had that in them. Just like you and I, we still have the flesh in us, but we're not of it. We're not of it. Thank God, we're not of it. And his so great love for us. Nineveh, we see, and we can see it. Remember, God wanted to send Jonah to Nineveh. It was so despicable that he did not want to go there. We see that in Jonah 3 and verse 3. Nineveh was renowned for renowned in antiquity for its huge size, and it was a great city in Nineveh. It's a great city. And it came up to, to, to be this huge development and kingdom. Now, this is what we want to get into. And we're going to stop there and bring it all the way forward here. This is going to be Acts chapter 8. We're going to come to a man. His name is Saul. His name is Saul. Prior to receiving Christ. Saul, big. Very big in his own eyes. Big. Rule. Reign. To rule and reign. Saul. And when he met Christ, he became Paul. Little. Oh, how he has to make us little. Because if he doesn't, if he doesn't, we will preach a little Christ with a big self. Well, you see this. You see, even in Acts the seventh chapter, Acts the seventh chapter, it says, "You stiff-necked, you stiff-necked, and uncircumcised in heart, mind, you always do resist the Holy Spirit." They stoned him. They put his coat. They they put their coats at the feet of Saul. You see that. You see that in Acts chapter seven, verse fifty-eight. He also tells it when he's in front of the governors and those that were rule, being ruled when he was on trial, Paul. He was on trial because of Christ in him now. And he refers to that in Acts 22 and verse 20. He refers to it. And there was a great persecution. Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death, giving his full, yes, hunter of men, a great persecution that was against the church that was at Jerusalem. And then you see, by the time he, we get to Acts, the ninth chapter, and unfortunately we'll have to, I'll have to leave off because I want to be careful of uh, people's time when they make their time to come. And I, I, I want to uh, be, be right about their time that they invest to come. And you're going to see Saul, and we're going to see, and probably... We'll, we'll probably see this tomorrow. I'm going to finish this up and we'll record this. I'm going to finish it up 
on uh, Friday and, and possibly even Sunday and then possibly even again on Monday. But we're going to see it, follow it all the way through. The height of the religious man. Did you know the height of any? You can't be more religious in terms of hatred and opposition to God than Saul was. <laughs> and the scriptures bring it out in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9. Ephesians 3 and verse 8. And 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. And those statements Paul did not make about himself. God the Holy Spirit had him record them about himself. And he, what is he showing? Oh my God, what's he showing us? That the worst, most hateful individual God can save and is willing to save. He's willing to save us, each of us, and our fallen, ruined, ruined, hateful self. And the man of God is always, when God uses him, is such a direct contrast to what he was in his fallen, ruined condition. And that's what God is doing through this sanctificational a process of teaching and growing in grace and truth in John 17, 17 and 2 Peter 3 and verse 18 and Hebrews 4, 12, separating us from the flesh so that the purity of Christ can reign in the vessel and have intimacy and fellowship and that's what can be poured out. And Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning in Jesus' name, amen.